All right. Welcome to the me I want to be. Thank you. Uh, I'm uh, Joseph Gilgers. I'm the student ministries pastor here. I'm super excited to start this series, The Me I Want to Be. The question we really want to jump into throughout this series is what do we do with the things that happen in life that go against the things that God says about us? And if we're really honest about it, and this is going to be a little bit more of an honest uh, discussion tonight, um, is that we're all in the middle. We're all in the middle somewhere. We're all in the in-between. Um, God, we, we read about the promises within the Bible, the promises that we feel God's given us. Hey, you are promised hope. You are promised life and life abundantly. You have victory. You have purpose. You have destiny. And we're like, yeah, God, I believe in that. I want to cling to that promise. But it doesn't always feel like the here and now that, I, that, that hope is really guaranteed to me. That, that purpose is really guaranteed me that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm living my best life right now. I'm living in victory. Like somewhere in the line, like we, we, we see it in the Garden of Eden at the beginning in Genesis, right? We see this, this hope, this life, this, this, this vibrant uh, life. We see health. We see purpose. We see all these amazing things in the Garden. And then at the end in Revelation, we're like promised somewhere like Jesus is coming back and he's just going to restore all this stuff and there's going to be hope and there's going to be life and life abundantly and there's going to be all these amazing things. And Jesus talked about it, but somewhere in the middle in our lives, we get trapped in this in-between and we're kind of wondering like, where is it? Nobody else, just me? Okay, they're cool. Great, tough crowd, okay. Everybody else is just living in this, this vibrant, amazing life, full of abundant life, like, wow, okay, cool, not me. Like, I have moments where I just feel like I'm caught in the middle, and I know what the middle's all about. I'm the middle child of five. I was this one right here. That was a lot of fun in my teenage years. I'm not gonna lie about it. Yeah, some people, okay, it's okay, good. You, you're better Christians than we are. Okay, fine, okay, whatever. Like, we get caught in the middle, but I, and I'm a middle child. I, I get what I'm talking about. I get the middle. I've lived the middle. We, I also, I, I know growing up in the middle, as a, I was a middle child of five, so there's five of us. My dad uh, was an associate pastor uh, of a small church and then took over as a lead pastor of a church of 40 people. So as you can imagine, we weren't really considered, like, well off. I mean, you can, you can imagine, you can fill in the dots. But I never really noticed that or super recognized that until I got older and I started to look back on it. And I was like, oh, wow, we were, we were, not, we were not very well off. I mean, you, you could maybe even, like, start to spell the words out poor, but we didn't have enough of the letters. So, uh, like, we... we we, you know, I'm talking like hand-me-downs from, from my brother who's two and a half years older than me and wears Husky. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, back then when they were running that brand, like, you know, the belt's just all the way tightened. Yeah. Uh, the, I'm, ta I'm talking like, um, you know, we, we, would, we would, for dinner at times, we would just have tomatoes. Like, that was dinner, tomatoes. We got tomatoes from the garden. My, we had a garden out back. My dad would go pick the tomatoes. We cut up the tomatoes, uh, throw a little bit of olive oil in. It was actually delicious. I love the meal. I still love it to this day. I didn't know any different. Um, but we throw olive oil in it, throw some spices, some, maybe some chopped onions, put a loaf of bread in the middle. Boom, presto, dinner time. Let's go. Like, a, another dinner we had was just a baked potato. 
Like, no, not, and then another, that was an app, like, just a baked potato. We all got a baked potato. You cut it up, mash it up, throw a little bit of cheese on there, sprinkle it with some sauce. Boom. I love that meal. It was amazing. It wasn't until later on I'm at a restaurant with a friend, and he orders food, and he gets the, the salad to start with, and then the steak comes out, and then he got the asparagus on the side, and then there's a baked potato on the side as a side, and I'm like, dude, that's a whole meal. What are you doing? Like, if you ain't going to eat that, man, it's dinner time, dude. Hand it over. And as I look back on it, I'm, I'm realizing, like, oh, man, we were a little bit more in the middle than I thought we were. We're, were. we weren't as well off as I thought we were. As I'm in the middle of all of this, I remember one Christmas, I'm about six or seven years old, um, and it's my turn to open the gift. We're at my grandparents' house. There's probably like 15 to 20 family members there, and it's my turn, and I open up uh, this gift, and boom, here it is, the amazing, glorious, this beautiful gray coat. It was a winter coat. It was winter time. And man, that coat, I know Floridians, you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but you need a coat, in, you need a coat in, in December and January. So I pull out this coat, and I was like, my six-year-old, seven-year-old eyes, laid, we, I laid eyes on it. I was just like, oh, yeah, like this is about to go down. I'm going to come into school with this coat. I'm going to be super cool. Everybody, I'm going to be swagging, swag walking it out like, oh, man, it's about to go down uh, at school. When I get back and I put the coat on, I love this coat, but I remember as I, I looked up in my whole family, 15 to 20 people, they're all, oh, wow, Josie's so cute, fudgy cheese, oh, he's so cute, oh, my goodness, he looks so amazing. They're probably all seeing me as, like, a Christmas story, you know what I'm talking about, like, put the arms down, no, <laughs> you know, this pudge kid, and, and um, so... I, I got embarrassed, right? Like what most kids do, the, all the attention, all the eyes. I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to get this coat. Mom, can I take the coat off? And so she took the coat off. I, I was like, can I go play? I go play. But all I could think about as I ran off to play was like, dude, when I finally get to school, like I'm going to get to show off my brand new coat to all my friends. They're going to love me. They're going to think I'm so cool in this coat. So finally, the day comes, Christmas break's over, I get to go back to school. I don't know if I've ever been more excited to go back to school. I'm pumped up, uh, and, and I, I get ready as fast as I can. I run to the closet, and I open the closet where my coat was, and all I see is the old red mangy tattered coat, my hand-me-down coat. And I'm like, oh, get that out of here. Where's my gray coat? And I can't find it. So I run into the room, into the kitchen. I said, Mom, what happened? Where's my gray car? I can't find it. She said, oh, honey, I, I thought you were embarrassed by it. We thought you didn't like it, so we took it back. Thank you for the gasp. That means a lot to me. I was like, my six, I, I remember in the moment, my six or seven-year-old brain, I couldn't compute what I, what, what, what I felt. I just knew what I felt. And it felt like my heart sunk to my stomach. In that moment, I felt crushed. In that moment, I felt like maybe like I was in the middle of something I was promised and something I didn't get to have. What I didn't know about that moment that I know now is that that moment continued. It didn't start there. Somewhere before even that happened, there were lies that the enemy was trying to tell me. There were lies that I had bought in and believed in. And this moment continued a life of living out of the insecurity and belief that I wasn't going to fit in and I didn't get to have nice things. Even if I do get nice things, I'm not going to get to keep them. Even if I do get to fit in, it's because I manipulated the situation. And this lie... These lies 
They walked with me wherever I went. It didn't matter in what role I was playing. It didn't mean it matter as a teenager, as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as an employee. I carried these lies. I don't get to fit in unless I manipulate the situation. And I don't get nice things. And even if I do, I lose them. I can remember as a teenager, uh, I, I really didn't, I didn't fit in socially very often, but as I got to be about 12, 13, 14, I found out like, oh, I'm actually decent at playing sports. I'm actually pretty good. So I would begin to level up and play sports and, and, and work so hard at being so good because I found out if I'm really good at sports, I can become valuable. I can become worth it for somebody else to want to be around me or, or be in the in crowd. And if I'm really good and I, and, I keep, and I keep that pace up, then man, they'll really start to embrace me at least around the basketball court or at least around the side soccer field or, or the hockey arena, I'll begin to feel valued. I'll begin to feel loved. I remember as an employee and early on, I, w- I would work 60, I'd work 70 hours, w- hours a week because I felt like the moment I, I undercut that, they're going to go, ah, oh, yeah, you're not valuable enough or you're not intellectually smart enough to keep up. So, but, but I can manufacture it and I can work harder than it. And I remember trying to figure out like, maybe I can outwork this thing. And I put everything into it. I remember as a friend, I remember my, my friends, I remember one friend coming up to me and asking me, it was shortly after uh, me and my wife, Sierra, got married, and he asked me, he said, hey, I see you around a lot of other places, but uh, I, I, I never hear you, I never see you ever having somebody over to your house. And I didn't tell him the genuine answer, but I remember what I felt. I remember what I thought in that moment because the, the truth of that is we didn't ha- I didn't have people over because I was embarrassed because I didn't have nice things. And I thought, my, my goodness, if they come over, see, I can keep this perception of who I am out here. And I can get some nice clothes and I can dress up my car and I can make it look like I have that iPhone and I can do it, but, but I don't have nice things at my house. And so if they walk into the house, they're going to see the lie that I've built up. They're going to see the truth about me, and then they won't want to be around me. The outside image didn't match the inward truth, so you can't come in. I remember one time my, my, my friend, my, a buddy from high school came, and he was visiting me, and I, I, I didn't even picture, I, I didn't know what I was doing. But I was showing him my phone. I was showing him my car. Look at my car, man. Look how nice it is. Look at, look at my phone. Hey, check this out. Hey, check this watch out, dude. Look at Look, I just got this watch. I didn't know I was being obnoxious about it. I was just showing him stuff. I wanted him to see all the nice things I had. And finally, he literally looked at me. He's like, what is this, MTV Cribs? And it hit me in that moment. And I thought about that moment. I realized, man, I, I really, th- what I was trying to tell him is we don't have sports anymore. So I don't have sports to go off of. But what I do have now, I've kind of gotten a few nice things because I've worked really hard for them. So we can still be friends. I was manufacturing. I was manipulating. I was doing everything I could to keep my head above water. I'm telling you, again, it affected me as a husband, as a dad, a friend, an employee. You name it, and I brought it into that area of life. And sadly, for the most part, blindly, like most of us do. I remember mentors talking to me and saying, man, if you keep up this pace that you're running at, you're going to burn out. You need to slow down. I remember them talking to me about the concept of striding for striving. That you've got to stride 
through this process of life. You can't just keep striving. And I, if I was going to be honest with you today, I remember on the outside going, yeah, okay, I get it. I got to gotta walk first run, and I'll, I'll try to, you know, change my calendar around and change these other things, and I'll do that to appease you. But internally, I was angry. Internally, I was frustrated that my mentor would even think to say that because in, internally, all I could think was, oh, that's really nice that you get to stride. Oh, that's really nice that you get to walk. That's really nice that you all, hey, that you have the natural capabilities and the tendencies that you could just stride and walk through life and still keep your head above water. But you don't understand my situation. You don't understand that everything I've gotten, I've worked for, I've fought for, I've manipulated, I've built. And the moment I stop, I'm going to sink. All I'm doing is keeping my head above water. And the moment I stop, I'm going to sink, I'm going to drown. So that's really cute. That's nice. You keep striding. I'm going to continue to strive. I'm going to continue to run. The last two years, God's brought me through this process of exposing these lies and speaking truths over me. I've been through mentoring, I've been through discipleship, I've been through coaching. And if I'm honest with you, which I'm going to be, I've been through a ton of professional counseling. And I'm so happy about it. And I want to help us, actually, for a moment, if I could one-off on this. Sometimes in America, we've attached this thought process that the wheels have to be falling off the train, the engine has to, has to bust on the plane, the wing needs to snap, and then maybe, 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 if it all crashes and it all burns and there's no other way out, then maybe you should go to professional counseling. I want to encourage us, the wheels didn't fall off the train. The engine didn't bust. The wing didn't snap. I wasn't spiraling down to my death. But there are a few markers. Listen, there is nothing shameful about going to professional counseling. Nothing. There is no shame in it. There is potential health in it. And just like we would go for a doctor's checkup or go to the dentist and get rechecked up and check out our teeth and see for a cleaning, just for a random checkup, we should do that for our mental health, for our social health, for our spiritual health often. It shouldn't be this like, well, the last time I went was five years ago. No, you're setting yourself up to fail. Don't set yourself up to fail. Go do it. I've done more professional counseling the last two years than the rest of my life combined. And nothing was crashing and nothing was burning, but I'm so much healthier for it. Do yourself a favor. Get around good mentors. Get around good coaches. Get around some good professional counselors and allow God in the midst of it to direct the process to bring you to more health. Why am I telling you this? The issue is, this isn't just about my story. This is about all of our stories. The issue is all of us have a seven-year-old moment. Every single one of us has a seven-year-old moment or a 14-year-old moment or a 20-year-old moment or a 25-year-old moment or a 50-year-old moment or all of those moments. Every single one of us. And in those moments, the enemy's job and the thing he's trying is to attach lies that you'll believe about yourself. 
that will hurt your relationship with God, it will hurt your relationship with yourself, and it will hurt your relationship with others. The issue is if we don't do the work to uncover it, and a lot of us, I'm just going to be honest, we don't do the work to uncover it. I know because I've, as I've told people my story over the last two years, they're shocked. Wow, you're doing that? You're, you're going to professional counseling? Why are you going? Whoa, whoa, what's wrong, Pastor? What's, what's, what's going on? What did you do? Did you have an affair? Did you cheat on somebody? Did you steal money? Did you do this? What did you do? What, what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing. I just needed God to invade my life a little more because I was believing lies. And I wanted a better relationship with him and myself and my kids and my wife. I wanted to give them better. I wanted to give you better. I wanted to give people better. So we walked through it. And most of us haven't done the work to uncover it. And the problem with that is if we don't do the work to uncover it, then our yesterday continues to steal from our today. You know who steals? The enemy. The Bible says the thief comes in the night. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God's not trying to steal from you. He's not taking, trying to take away your purpose. He's not trying to take away your hope. He's not trying to take away your glory. The enemy is. And the longer you sit on that insecurity, the longer you sit on the doubt, the longer you sit on that moment, and don't let anybody touch it, the longer you steal from yourself, from your relationship with God, and from others. Throughout this entire process, God had me continuing to circle this one verse or these two verses. And it, honestly, if I'm going to be, again, I'm just being honest. I'm just being open tonight. It was bothering me. It was frustrating me. Like, God, what was this verse about? Like, it's, uh, it, it was so, the, the verse he kept having me come back to, I'm like, it's so like, I get it. It's out in the open. We, most of us might know it. Like, it's like, give me a verse. I want a verse. You know what I mean? Like, when I come, like, Jesus, like, reveal something deep to me. Like, take me into, like, Malachi, off chapter of Malachi. And the Greek word for, for this word is, like, matanokaiaia. And, like, the, the meaning is, like, a brand new birth. And it aligns over here in this passage. And, boom, mind-blowing stuff. Like, it wasn't one of those. I was angry. I'm like, stop bringing me back. I get this verse. I understand this verse. I've heard it for my whole life. Most of you maybe have heard of it too. We can look at it. It's, it's uh, Matthew, Luke, Luke 10, 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was asked the question again in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? And he replied, in Matthew 22, he, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I'm like, yo, I get it. Love God. We, we have it here. I had it in my last church. I've launched ministries. It was like pursue God, pursue people, love God, love people, right? The two greatest commandments summed up in four words, love God. Thank you. We get it. Okay, God, I get it. Stop bringing me back to it. It's annoying. What do you want me to do about it? Love you more? Okay, I'll love you more. I'll work harder at loving you more, God. Okay, I'm loving you more. He's like, oh, no, no, keeps reminding me. Keeps bringing me back to it. It's in every message I preach about. I'm like up here preaching about like, love God with all your heart. I'm internally like, I hate this. 
Like, love your neighbor as you say, okay, love people. I get it. I got to love people better. I don't understand what you're trying to reveal to me. I get it. Love God. Love people. I've done it my whole life. I think, what am I missing? And finally, he's like, what's in the middle? What's in the in-between? What are you missing? I'm like, I don't know. That's your job to tell me. <laughs> Look at the middle. Love God. I said, okay, love God. I get it. Love God. That's beautiful. That's the first entity. And then there's this other thing. With your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, I'm like, God, that's a lot of me. That's a lot of me in the first commandment. Doesn't make sense. I'm not supposed to be in the first commandment. It just says love God. We don't have love me. Love God. Just God. And he goes, now, let's go to the next one. What is it? Love your neighbor. Yeah, okay, love my neighbor. As what? As you. As yourself. And I'm all. Wait, love me and love me, both the first and the second. And here's the thing. I think the devil sometimes has this right where he wants us because we go, we love God and we love people and we completely miss us. And God never meant for us to be missed from the two greatest commandments. We're smack dab in the middle. We're right there. Sometimes I think the devil's got us right where he wants us because we're going, well, I do love God. I do love others as myself. The problem is I hate myself. Oh, I care, I'll care for them as much as I care for myself, but I don't care for myself very well. Are you picking up? If, if, you don't have peace, if you don't have peace of mind, how can you go give somebody else peace of mind? If you haven't taken time to sit in solitude and get some peace for yourself, you don't have nothing else to offer them. You don't have that to offer them. If you haven't guarded your heart and you're trying to go like, God, I give you my heart. Yeah, it's pretty janky. Because I've just given my heart. God, I give my heart over here. I give my, car, my heart to, to this thing. And I give my heart to this desire. And I give my heart to this person. And I give my heart to this thing. And then we get to the point where we're like, oh, and you can have the remainder. And he said, no, 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 no. I said, all of it. Man, we hear messages from, we hear messages, I think, quite a bit about sacrifice yourself for God. It's an amazing message. There's nothing wrong with that message. We hear messages all the time on sacrifice yourself for others. Great message. When was the last time you heard a message about love yourself for God? When was the last time you heard a message about love yourself for others? It's been a long time probably. In my book, it's been a long time. Love yourself for God. Love yourself for others. Isn't that weird? We put sacrifice above love, but... I would contend that we can adequately sacrifice what we don't love. That was better than you gave it. I would contend that we can adequately sacrifice what we don't love. In other words, God loved us so much that he sacrificed, he gave his son. What, why did that work? It worked because he loved his son. And if we go to God, I want to give you some peanut butter M&Ms. He's like, it doesn't work. That's not a sacrifice. You don't love that. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. America. It requires love to sacrifice. Even mm, you can't love someone else if you haven't first loved you. 
You can't care for someone else if you haven't first cared for you. Otherwise, we're just offering a counterfeit product of what we think love looks like. I was blind to loving myself. I was absolutely blind to it. I actually thought it was anti-God. And I'll tell you why, right? Because we look, I'll tell you why. The term, self-love. I'm like, no. Heck no. Self-love, that's for those whamby-pamby West Coasters. We're being honest tonight. Heck no. Self-love, get out of here. Come on. Uh-uh. I ain't going to self-love, whatever that means. Like, get out of here. That ain't God's purpose for my life. And I'm seeing the world because the world, they become the destination. They become the God. And they just embrace all the selfish desires. It's just whatever I feel like, whatever I want to do. I, you do you, boo-boo. Come on, baby. You be you. Don't be anybody else. Just feel you and do you. And, uh, and I'm looking at that like, I don't want that. And I'm hearing this term, love yourself. And I'm like, heck no. I ain't going to turn into that. That ain't Jesus. And if it is, God, I love you, but no. I'm coming to heaven a sinner. That's going to happen. And I look in the Christian world and I see it and I'm like, okay, where does it show up in the Christian world? And all I could see is this prosperity gospel doctrine. And again, they become the destination and they get to have the thing. Whatever thing they want, they get. And it's the same thing. It's whatever they want. It's just masked in a Christian theology. But they become the destination. It's not about somebody else. It's not about God. It's them. I get it now. I figured it out. I read a verse. God's definition of self-love is not us embracing our selfish desires. God's definition of self-love is instead about seeing ourselves in a truth of a God who loved us so much that he died for us and then invited us into his perspective of how he views us. Ooh, somebody write that down. That was a good one. He, breathed, he loved you so much. That's the whole point of self-love. He goes, yo, I loved you so much that I died for you. And I didn't die for you at your best. I died for you at your worst. And I didn't die for you angry. I died for you forgiving you. And it's when you can see yourself like that. Man, that's the definition of self-love. Because you get to see yourself valuable. And you get to see yourself worthy. And you get to see yourself full of hope and life. And life abundantly. And you have your purpose back and because I see myself worthy I get to see myself worth taking care of so now I care about my heart and now I care about my soul and now I care about my mind and now I care about my strength and can I tell you Jesus modeled it Jesus modeled it did you ever think like it says Jesus Walked away from the crowd. He departed from the crowds to get time for himself. You know who was in the crowd? Dying people. Hurting people. People that were saying, I need you, Jesus. People were saying, I need a touch from you. We need to hear your life. We need to hear the life you bring. And Jesus is literally going. We laugh because part of us doesn't believe it. But he knew it was a relationship with God where he knew if I don't get myself fed, 
if I don't take care of this, then this won't be here tomorrow and somebody else needs me tomorrow. Christians, come on. America, come on, wake up. We've got to start to take care of this. We are in the middle of the two greatest commandments. We're caught smack dab right there. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. Can I say so? Of course I can say something. I have the microphone. <laughs> you don't get to choose. Seek God and you will find God. I know it's a verse in a book in the Bible, but if you seek him, you will find him. Can I, I think God was just overlaying a principle in life. If you seek God, you'll find God. If you seek depression, you'll find depression. If you seek, if you seek anxiety, you'll find anxiety. If you seek losses, if you're just waking up every day looking for what's going to go wrong, I'm going to tell you something big secret in life. You'll find a bunch of things wrong. If you wake up every day and start to look for wins in life, you will find wins. They might be a little harder to see, and it might take you a little bit longer to find them, but you'll find them. It's the same way with God. If you seek him, you will find him. If you find him, he's super easy to love because his signature is love and kindness. And if you love him, you begin to care about him and care about the things he cares about. And can I tell you the very first thing on a father's heart? It's his kids. The very first things on his heart is you. The thing he cares about more than anything is you. And he wants to help you find you. He wants to help you love you he wants to help you care for you and it doesn't end there because we're not the destination then we get to go with god in this process and go find other people and we get to go love other people and we get to care for other people and as we do that with him then guess what they find they find god and the process repeats itself God wants to bring you to a place where you're in the middle. He wants to lead you back to him. He wants to direct the whole process. He wants to start his work in you. And he desires to lead you to wholeness, to healing, so that out of that process you can genuinely care for and love others. One of the coolest parts about this whole process is God has brought me to be okay and love myself at 6, at 7, at 10, at 15, at 20, at 25, and even right now. I'm talking like the most embarrassing and shameful, shameful moments of my life. And I've had a God, a creator of the universe. The creator of the universe has come down and gone, hey, do you see yourself in that moment? I'm like, yeah, it's super embarrassing. It's super shameful. Can we skip this scene? And he's looking at me, no, 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 no. Why would you skip it? I love this. No, no, no. You can't love that. That's what you hate. No, no, no. I don't hate it. I die for that. the most embarrassing, the most shameful moments. And he's brought me in, the creator of the universe. And he said, dude, I don't, Joseph, I love this. 
I don't just put up with it. That's mine. It's like a proud dad. It's like a proud mama. That's mine. I created that. I marked that. I find that valuable. I find that worth it. I find that beautiful. I find that amazing. You have, you have so much purpose. You have hope. You have a destiny. And I'm like, in that moment, oh, yeah, you had it all right there, boy. All of it. You can't mean that. Yes. Yes, he can because his grace is a grace that is scandalous and his love is a love that is extravagant. It's something that we can't comprehend and understand. That's the point. That's why he is God and we are man. This is the best part. The next part, he brings us into his perspective. He goes, yo, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Look at you. And I'm going, no. That's embarrassing. I'm full of shame. Full of regret, he goes, No, 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 look closer. Love yourself right here. Can I tell you for a moment? If we can't walk and look at ourselves in God's perspective, then He's not God to us, He's not Lord. We continue to be God. No, because what we're actually saying is, God, hmm, my identity, that's up to me. How much, how valuable I am, that's up to me. How worthy I am, that's up to me. That's not up to you. It's not up for you to overrule how I view myself here. And God's going, no, no, no. I'm either God or I'm not. So you either see yourself the way I see you or the whole thing's a bust. But if we begin to embrace, and by the way, he goes, if you can't look at yourself that way in these moments, then how are you supposed to look at somebody else and love them? No, it's just a counterfeit product. But if you can, embrace it now. If you can see yourself in the mess and love it and be okay with it and see that I'm, you're still worthy and see that you're still worth it and see that you still have value, immense value, and see that I still died for you in this moment. If you can see it, then guess what? Even in the midst of somebody else's mess, you can reach out to them and go, you are loved, you are valuable, you are worth it, you have purpose, you have hope, you have destiny, and Christians all across can stop running from other people's messes and start running into them declaring truth. Come on. You can stand up with me tonight. There I am, I'm in, I'm in first or second grade. I'm pumped, right? I get to see, I got this coat. I run to the closet. I open it up and the coat's gone. I go into the kitchen. My mom says, we took it back and I'm crushed. I'm broken. And these two lies trigger. You don't get to fit in. And you're never going to have nice things. I'm in a counseling session not long ago. And my counselor asked me these two questions. The first one was, Joseph, you wouldn't have been able to verbalize it or process it then. But the way you feel, the way you felt, what were the two lies you believed? And I spouted those two sentences off. I don't get to fit in and I don't get to have nice things he said close your eyes he closed his eyes said Jesus we just invite you in the room I want you to show Joseph the truth about those lies the first thing I saw or the first thing I heard was God say you don't get to have nice things I created the world for you 
I'm hearing the creator of the universe tell me he created this world for me. I wanted to reject it. But I knew it was him. And the second thing I heard, the second thing I saw was Jesus. And he walked out. He grabbed the keys to the minivan. Conversion van. And he started driving down the road in my van. He went to the store. I saw him cycling through the, the coat rack and he pulled the gray coat off the rack. He went to the cashier, he cashed out, and he sped back. Jesus sped for me. And he pulls up into the driveway. And I'm sitting there, my six, seven-year-old self, and my head was just hanging. I saw myself, just my head hanging there. Just kind of rejected, just buying into these lies. And he walks up to me, and he puts the coat over me. And he got down on one knee, and he looked me in the eye. And I looked up at him. And he said, Joseph, you don't need this coat to fit in. And it wasn't just a seven-year-old moment. It was a 14-year-old moment. 20-year-old moment, a 22-year-old moment, a 25-year-old moment, a 28- and a 29-year-old moment, a today moment, that I realized all these lies began to fall off of me, and all these things and ways that I lived began to fall off of me, and all I want to tell you tonight is that God can do that for you. It might not be a coat. Maybe it's something much more tragic than a coat. Maybe it's not, but here's what I know. Pain is pain, and God cares about it. No matter how small or how large it might be to somebody else, he cares about the details of your life. And more than that, he cares about the lies that you've bought into for far too long. I didn't share my story so you can be happy for me or happy with me. If you are, awesome, that's amazing. But I share my story because I believe and I hope that you could believe that God will do this for you too. Tonight, I want to open us up to an opportunity to start, either begin, or continue a process toward wholeness. Begin or continue a process where we give God the keys and say, God, here's my dysfunction, here's my issue, here's the lie I've bought into, and I don't know what to do with it, but will you speak over it? Will you speak directly to it? Will you tell me the truth about the lies that I believed right here, right now? In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I want us to just embrace that. And if you want to, you could begin that process right here, right now, by just praying to God. Here's the deal. Every single one of us has a 7-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15, 20, 25, 50-year-old moment. Will you give God permission tonight to do the work, to begin to do the work, to get you into
We just thank you so much, God, for how much you love us, how much you care about us, that you wouldn't even let us get lost in the midst of all this. God, I just pray tonight for this process, God, that this wouldn't be the conclusion for us. This wouldn't be the destination, God, but it would be the beginning or the continuation of a process that leads us back to you, to loving you. God, as we do that, that you would lead us into a process toward wholeness, into a process toward of, of healing. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, we, uh, I, I really pr- uh, hope for what I just prayed for, that this wouldn't just be the beginning or the continuation. That it doesn't end right here with one six-minute moment with God, even if it is a beautiful moment, and I'm sure it it is a beautiful moment, that it wouldn't end here, though. We have a prayer room if some of you want to continue to process that out. We also have Cornerstone Professional Counseling. They're an amazing source. Uh, Did a lot of my counseling through them. Um, But but go go to some mentors. Go through some coaching. Go through some counseling. Go, Go to some trusted people in your life and continue this process of breaking lies that the enemy has held over you and accepting truth that God has for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.